Welcome to the best of the Nick Brown Show, an on-demand audio presentation of redpeachsports.com and ESPN977.com. Now here's your host, Nick Brown. Now a guy who's been working on some uh, game plans, big game today, that's Coach Eric Conkle joining us, Louisiana Tech men's basketball coach. Coach, thanks for joining us this morning. Hey, thanks for having me, Nick. I, I tell you, certainly it's uh, been a big week for you and the Bulldogs started with a 10-point victory over the Blue Raiders of Middle Tennessee. And now today uh, get to uh, host the UAB Blazers. It's certainly a big week. And, and the crowd turned out well the other night, over 5,000 in the Assembly Center for the game with the Blue Raiders. We're so appreciative of our fans. I mean, you're exactly right. This, this place is a special, special place to play a ball game. And um, our fans really, really came through for us on Thursday. And I know they'll be there strong again today. You know, Coach, and you look at the way Conference USA has gone right now, UAB leading the league at 11-1, and 21-4 overall, and Middle Tennessee now 9-3. and Marshall's still at 8-3, and which is a surprise, only 12-12 and overall, but they're the Bulldogs 18-6. and In your first year as head coach of the Bulldogs, certainly been some big victories, one over Ohio State. And how do you feel the team, man, from taking the job to where you are now, trans- transition of how everything has come together? Well, I think we've improved. I, I think each guy has elevated their role uh, quite, quite a bit from last season. Um, from Alex Hamilton and Eric McCree have really uh, elevated into leadership roles. And then you've got guys like Merle Holden and Deion Griffin and Jacoby Boykins that have been thrust into a starting position and been counted on to produce. So I think we're improving. I think we're becoming more and more consistent. Uh, of course, we've still got a lot of things to work on that we're um, drilling each day in practice to get better and better. But um, you know, we're, we're trying to pursue uh, our best versions of ourselves, and uh, this group has really embraced that type of philosophy, and uh, they're a joy to work with. I tell you, Coach, I've been to a lot of the games, even been to several on the road. I can tell you, you talk about improvement, I certainly agree with you. And from a, not from a media standpoint, just a guy watching the game in the stands, whether it's at Reed Green Coliseum over in Hattiesburg, if it's right around the street here in Ruston, the thing that I've seen the biggest improvement, and, of course, you're the head coach and obviously could disagree with me, but I think the, the offense has really started to come together from the beginning of the year to where we are now. I think defensively, Coach, I think from day one these guys have been great defensively. I've seen the biggest, and maybe I'm wrong, but I've seen the biggest improvement in your offense. Well, I appreciate that. You know, we're, we're trying to be a balanced team, and, and we've had five guys in double figures recently. Uh, we like that. Uh, we'd love to have that more and more and, and keep getting production from our bench. Um, and then, of course, we, we need to be a great defensive team to have a chance, especially on the road. But um, I've I really enjoyed this group, Nick. They've uh, been passionate about this school and this program in, in trying to be their best. And, uh, uh you know, with the assistant coaches and, and what we've tried to do, um, they've really embraced it. So I'm very appreciative of them. I, I want to ask a, a basketball question for this because I've gotten to disagreements with people this week. Enjoy watching the game over Middle Tennessee uh, State this past week, the Thursday night, where over 5,000 turned out. And we certainly want more people in the Assembly Center today, hopefully for the big red out, get a crowd and get a victory over UAB. Now, where I get into an argument with people, you built up around a 15-point lead, and I talk about the offense that has been improving. You get in rhythm, and I think it's a fine line as being a coach. When do you slow down and burn some of the shot clock, or when do you take that available shot? Because when you're hitting, obviously you, you want to keep shooting and hit 
and hitting those. And I watched your expressions when you were watch, well, watching the game towards the closing minutes. I guess that's kind of one of the tough decisions. Do you want to burn the clock at that instance, or do you want to go ahead and take the shot because you're, you're hot? And I'm talking about early in the shot clock when you have a lead towards the uh, closing minutes of a game. Right. It, you're right, Nick. It is a fine line, and it's, it's something that even if you practice it over and over and over again like you do, it, it's, it's something you have to experience in games, just that type of pressure and that type of feel. But I'd say you don't want to start slowing things down too early. There's not five, six minutes left, but in the last two minutes, you certainly want to use clock, um, make that team make a decision. Are they going to come foul you? Are they going to bring pressure at you? Because if they do, you might make an easy pass or two and get a layup. Um, we certainly don't want to take a contested shot with 20 seconds left on the shot clock or uh, anything that could cause a turnover and get them a run out on the other end. So um, we want to play quick. Uh, we want to play aggressive. Uh, for at least the 38 minutes of the game, if we've got a lead, we want to kind of slow things down and, and really make the other team guard us. Well, now let's talk about the challenges you had today. Obviously, UAB coming in here, uh, obviously right now number one in Conference USA. The challenges that they bring to the table and what we expect to see in today's game, we want everyone to come out and see with a 1 o'clock tip. Well, they've got a very good team, and their record shows that. They've got, uh, they're have got they one of the best shot-blocking teams in the country. They've got a lot of length and athleticism in the front court, and they've got a good point guard in Nick Norton who really sets the table up for these other guys. They're, they're one of the lead leaders. They're, they lead our league in assists and one of the nation's leaders as well. Um, but they can score it. They can defend. They mix up defenses. Uh, they've got a lot of punch both on the perimeter and inside and slashing to the basket. So we've got to do a good job of defending their actions, not giving them second chances. And then when we get down the other end, we've just got to do a great job of getting great shots for our team because if they block that shot and they'll get some, they're really good at flying down the other end and getting an easy basket. Uh, certainly uh, exciting to want a good crowd out at the Assembly Center today at 1 o'clock. Tip. But, Coach, I want to ask you just a little bit. Uh, I don't want to keep you too long because I know it's, it's a busy day, and I certainly appreciate you spending time with us. Eric Conkle, head coach of Louisiana Tech men's as the Bulldogs take on the Blazers today. But I want to take uh, your background and the biggest, really biggest influence on you uh, in your coaching career. And I know you spent time, and I really would love if I had more time to talk to you, talk about those George Mason teams that we all enjoy watching. But the biggest influence on your coaching career? Well, I, you know, I first start with my parents. Now, neither one of my parents played high school sports, but, but my parents are real hardworking people in uh, blue-collar area in central Wisconsin. And, and um, you know, I start with them because they, they really encouraged me at a young age to just do what I wanted to do, what I was passionate about. But then through the coaching profession, my high school coach, Greg Jensen, uh, to Bo Ryan and Terry Gibbons, my, uh, my college coaches. And then, and then, of course, I spent 11 years with Jim Laranaga at George Mason in Miami. And, and, he, and he's been a, a great mentor and friend and uh, a wonderful supporter and cheerleader of me. Um, I, I'm completely indebted to those people. And you really are a product of your experiences and the people you've been around. And I've been very, very fortunate to be around some great ones. Yeah, and listen to that, and certainly uh, watching all of the teams were Miami, wherever you were an assistant coach. But let me take away from that as parents, you know, you, you talk about your parents hardworking and not playing sports. That, that's a little bit different for us here. You know, normally because you always have, well, they played this, they played that, but yet they encourage you to follow your passion, although they didn't play sports, encourage you to do that. That's wonderful to hear. Well, you know, my dad, uh, my dad is the youngest of ten. 
and he uh, he grew up on a dairy farm in the central part of Wisconsin, and, and he, he would love to have played sports. Uh, he played football his senior year because he got a ride, but he was really needed on the on the dairy farm that they had at home. And so I'm the I'm the oldest of three, and at a very young age, I, I can I can remember we always had a hoop, we always had balls, we always had baseball bats. My dad loved sports, so I was around, and he wanted to make sure that we had every opportunity. Me, my brother, and my sister, and uh, and I, I I've loved all sports from a very young age, and basketball was just my favorite. And uh, but I'm so appreciative of my parents from where they, uh, where we grew up and, and the opportunities that they gave me, my brother, and my sister. Well, Coach, I certainly appreciate you taking time to join us, and I know you're certainly enjoying the Louisiana winters as opposed to uh, Wisconsin and a dairy farm. So certainly enjoy the uh, great weather here in Louisiana and certainly look for a great atmosphere inside Thomas Assembly Center today when your Bulldogs take on the UAB Blazers. Well, I appreciate it, Nick. You're right. I do not miss that white stuff up north, not at all. Um, uh, and, I, and I love the warmth down here, and I certainly love the warmth in the tack on, on, a, on a game day. Well, hey, thanks for joining us, and uh, good luck. And we'll talk again in the future, but good luck today versus the Blazers. Anytime, Nick. Look forward to being with you again. Hey, thank you. That was Eric Conkle, head coach. Bringing in our next guest on the Identity One-to-One hotline. Known about him for years. Uh, he's done the clinics in North Louisiana, but certainly doing a great job as the head coach of the Generals, LSU Alexandria, Larry Cadero. Larry, thanks for joining us this morning. Coach Brown, good morning. Thanks for having me. Larry, I could go back and where you start with uh, what you've been able to do over at LSUA and just go back and take us a little bit of this program. Now, everybody can pay attention once the number one ranking comes out, number one in NAIA, and, and understand that. But there was a lot of work starting a program from scratch, and now two years later find yourself atop the polls. Yes, sir. We're amazed and honored uh, in the same time. It's taken a lot of work. We've got a lot of good players, and we just roll our sleeves up every single day. And we're in a great location right in Alexandria with the LSU letters in our name. And we've got a, and a lot of pride and a lot of teamwork, and things have just clicked and went well for us, and we're fortunate to be. Uh, number one right now, we, we have a little motto here lately. We, we don't want to buy in or read the rankings. Uh, it's really an opinion voters. We wanted to be settled in March in Kansas City at the National Tournament on March 22nd is our ultimate goal in year two here. But we practice like we're not in first place, and we try to play like we are in first place. So we uh, just you can't hide from it. You can't run from it. Uh, social media nowadays, and everybody's telling you, and you hear it, number one, number one. And, uh, we just embraced it and uh, just try to meet and exceed expectations every day. Well, let's talk about... <clears throat> When you got the call to become the head coach, just building a program, that, first of all, excited, how many people get that opportunity, number one. So that's a great honor, and what they knew that you were capable of, the confidence they had in you speaks volumes, because we're going to start a program, we're going to start it from scratch, and we're going to call Larry Cadero to lead that program. And just what went into building a program from scratch, because really – there's not too many blueprints on how you do that. You're right, and I didn't really look at any other college basketball programs or maybe do any research and, and, and fill it out. But just an example right here, you know, in Ruston, whether it be with you and your radio show or my mom and my dad starting Stage Realty and having a company last for you know many years, and it just takes 
hard work. It takes good people, and you just got to stay dedicated uh, to the program. And you got to devote yourself. And you got to put team first. And you just got to spend countless amount of hours. There were nights on the couches, and uh, just a lot of sacrifices of friends and family. You may not hear from me from time to time. I'm just, you know, we've got our heads down and we're working and just building it with fun and really it was a special time looking back at it recruiting an entire team in one year uh, in a few months moved up to first alexandria and we started our first game i believe uh in november of uh, 2014 and here we are in 2016 two years later top of the red river standings uh for the big road game today our last road game of the season we're in the hotel right now our guys are resting we're in marshall texas tonight playing wiley so we're excited about this game, and uh, just one game at a time. And uh, hopefully, we continue to improve, and that's that's what we're seeking for right now. Well, I tell you, uh, one of your former teammates, uh, Ryan Kilpatrick, and I were talking uh, this week. We're going to make it down and see you coach a game, and we're not going to tell you when we're coming because we don't want to put any pressure on you. But I will say that one thing watching, and certainly you do a great job on social media of promoting the program as well, but. You know what the city, uh, the city of Alexandria has really, and the surrounding areas have really embraced uh, this team and this program because it seems like that is a great place and a great atmosphere for college basketball. It is the, the central Louisiana area. You've heard of Peabody for years, and there's a lot of little small towns that have good basketball here. And Louisiana College has been good with Coach Rushing, and it's uh, been nice to be able to come in and be the new team in town and to succeed. A lot of people want to be associated with a winner, and they've, a lot of folks have helped us get off the ground and get going. And it's a thin line sometimes between the program and the team, and it's just hit me in the past few months that we've got a team to continue to improve and get better in the coach versus raising a program, building a program. So I'm still without a lot of stuff, believe it or not, in year two. We haven't done this. We haven't gotten around to that. But a lot of times the team comes before the program, if that makes sense. And we'll get to that in all season because we're 22-2 and two right now. Let's keep our focus and our attention on this team and getting these guys, you know, hitting the books and doing those type things. But uh, folks have helped us from, from time to time in getting the program going. We've got some great assistant coaches. They don't get enough credit. I was able to get a couple of my buddies from the state to come up, and two of them have been with me in both years. And, Bright futures for those guys. Uh, we recruit the state of Louisiana. Every single player on our roster is from Louisiana, except our arguably our best player, our point guard, is from McComb, Mississippi. But we're recruiting Louisiana high schools. Last night we were over at Captain Tree watching Bird play. And we just love Louisiana kids, and that's where I played. And I'm more familiar with all the coaches, and just happy to have uh, you know the, the talent pool to choose from right here at home. Okay, I want to ask you a question because talking to Larry Cadero, the head coach at LSU Alexandria, LSUA, the Generals, certainly a great job in year two, climbed to number one in the rankings of NAIA. And I want to ask you about the uh, reception you get. You go into places, it's not like you're just playing NAIA teams. You've gone into Hammond, a good friend of mine, Jay Ladner, and you're taking care of the, uh, the Lions down in Southeastern with a victory over them, 82-68. to You've gone into Natchitoches. Uh, Northwestern State of Forkham Demons won there 99-97. After that NAIA program comes in and gets a victory, what is the reception like, and are they going to have the uh, generals back on the schedule? 
That's a very good question, Coach Brown. Uh, it's not easy to schedule these games. Maybe in year one when we had five of them, we were 0-5. We came real close in two or three of those games. And this year we were able to get over the hump, and we won two of those games out of the three. And, uh, you know, calls are not as uh, returned as, as much uh, when, they, when we first started the program. And they, we definitely opened some eyes, caught some attention. I think there's a school or two or three out there that's willing to play us. We might have to go up a level. It'd be nice to play an LSU or a Texas A&M or, or even come to my hometown, Louisiana Tech, and, and play the Bulldogs. I think that would be a, a neat game for me, of course, my family there and going to Ruston High School. But uh, the money helps us. Uh, the telling recruits we play Division One games and they're familiar with those schools, that helps us. And uh, just the competition level, it prepares us. You know, for the Red River, we feel like if we can play with some Division One teams, we should be able to win a Red River Conference Championship, which we were fortunate to do last season in year one. And we're four games away. We won Tuesday, Thursday night in Hawkins, Texas. We've got four more games in the Red River. If we can finish 4-0, last one on the road, and we come home for the final three at home, which would be nice to see you in the stands, Coach Brown, we can hang another banner. and That's going to be uh, nothing anyone can take away from us. You know, uh, Larry, I want to ask you something because the grind that, you know, you talk about it in the time away from family. I know how important family is to you. Know, I know all of your family members. I want to ask where all this positive energy. You just seem to have a uh, great faith in everything. You know, your tweets are positive. Your, your Facebook posts are positive. I know there's a long, a long grind, but uh, how you do and stay so positive is, is one of the main reasons the success that you're having on the basketball court. Well, I get some of it from my dad. He's a hard worker and all, but i got to give credit to my mom. She's very upbeat and positive and caring and nurturing, and I've learned how to take care of a family through her and my mother, my father. Just, you know, really coming to an NAI level, you, you do so much more than just coach basketball. You're there for these guys off the court, uh, in the classroom. It's just the little things. It, it, you would see just the things that, you know, I'm sure a lot of coaches do it, but at the higher level you go, you've got assistants, assistants, and assistants. But here, it's just a 24/7 job, and we've got to, uh, you know, be the encourager that we are. We we do, uh, you know, do a lot of team things with our guys in order just to let them know that, you know, it's it's more than just about an individual or them. It's a team sport, and we all have each other's back. But you know, really, at the end of the day, it really just boils down to my faith, Coach Brown. You know, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and you know, this is you know we're open about that here, and we had we had a player get baptized early in here that was special, and so we we know without God, you know, we can't do a whole lot, but uh, we definitely give Him glory, and we're just happy that we have this gift, this game called basketball that Dr. Naismith invented way back when to bring us all together, and to play together for a common cause, and that's to represent the LSUA way and to put our university on the map, and I, and I hope that we've done that in the two short years that we've had to do it in. Well, Larry, you've uh, you've certainly uh, done that, and you certainly pretty great about your faith and your family. And I can tell you that uh, everyone in North Louisiana, and it's going to be contagious around the country, pulling for the generals, and look forward to wish you well tonight versus Wiley College. But but really, wish you well the rest of the season as you make that march towards a national championship. We couldn't be more proud of you. And appreciate you joining us here on the Nick Brown Show and. I'm not going to tell you, but we're going to make it, and we're going to see you coach a game, man. Well, Coach Brown, it started as you as my freshman coach. I appreciate you and what you put into me and our teammates. 
back in 1995 there. We had a great year that time. Yeah, yes, we did. I think 19 and 2, Larry. <laughs> so. Larry, man, it's always great, and it's always great to see you in the gym, and that energy that you have is certainly contagious. Look forward to seeing you again. Appreciate you joining us this morning. Good luck tonight, and good luck the rest of the season, man. Thank you, Coach Brown. I enjoyed it. Hey, Have thank a good you. Day. Hey, you Take too. Care. That is Larry Cadero, the head coach of LSUA, LSU Alexandria. General is going to make it over to the Ford and see a game. Certainly, isn't it amazing? You're in year two, and you've gone from no program to now you're a top and number one ranking. And I tell you what, great guy. Certainly wish the Generals uh, good luck the rest of the season. But when you hear the group Alabama on the Nick Brown Show, it means we're going to Birmingham to talk to Lynn Scarborough from Lindy's Magazine, Hueytown, Alabama's favorite son. Yes, Jameis Winston, take the back seat to Lynn Scarborough. Good morning, Lynn. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Doing great. Uh, just talking off the air. It's a beautiful day up here. One of those when they say it's not a cloud in the sky. I'm actually looking out the window, and there's not a cloud in the sky. So it's a little bit, little bit of a cool day, but it's a, it's a good one. And um, you know, we always talk about you know what we do if we're out in the jeep or out having good, having a good time riding around. This would be a good day for it. It certainly would, and certainly again, you're the uh, the Chamber of Commerce guy. And always good to talk to you. I want to talk the SEC basketball, and I want to go uh, a great article that you wrote this past week on really the. I think what has obviously been disappointing, and it's just one of those things you can't predict, doesn't take away from the coaching ability whatsoever at all, but just the bad luck and turn of events that have plagued Bruce Pearl since becoming the Auburn coach. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. The, uh, you know, particularly this season. I mean, because last year, if you remember, you know, last year's first year there, uh, they make a run. They win three, three games in the SEC tournament and almost make it to the finals. And, um, and and really kind of turned things around. And things looked pretty promising for them at the start of the year. I mean, they beat, uh, they beat a, a good New Mexico team. They beat a couple of uh, 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 tournament teams from last year on the road. And then it started hitting. Well, it really started hitting at the beginning when Trayvon Reed, their 7'2 center, was, was not academically uh, eligible to be in school in the fall. They lost their, their, their top height, and then they uh, brought in Daniel Purifoy, who was a top 40 player in the country, and uh, the NCAA – um, did not uh, okay his ACT score, which was, was an adequate score, but they didn't okay it, caused him to take the test again. And, uh, and still to this day, he's never been, NCAA's been sitting on it and won't, won't qualify him to play. So he, he ended up with two guys short to start with, and then he has an injury to, he's got a, a, a third-year guy returning for his third year as a starting point guard, Shamshi Dean. He hurts his shoulder. He re-hurts the shoulder. He only played in three or four games this season. Then he's got T.J. Dunn. I want to interrupt you because I've seen the clarification on the height. Will those guys come back, the one that hasn't been cleared to play and the one that was academically uh, ineligible, will they rejoin the Tigers for next season? Uh, Yeah. Both of them them are with the team now. I mean, uh, Trayvon Trayvon Reed technically became out academically eligible to play uh, after the middle of January, but he didn't want to waste an entire uh, season on half a year or seven – seven-foot-two guy. So uh, the decision was made not to play him. And Purifoy could play today against Vanderbilt if, if the NCAA would call him and say, okay, he made an acceptable score and we're going to accept it. But that's not going to happen. So, 
so those two guys will be eligible for next season. Well, you you assume Trayvon Reed will, and you assume that Purefoy will, and and then T.J. Dunnans was the number one junior college player in America, and the last game he played was when they upset New Mexico on the road at the tournament. Dunnans scored 20 points, but he hits his knee, and it ends up being a severe knee injury, and he's gone for the year, and and then of course they've had they've had other. Uh, injuries uh, along. Uh, uh, Harris hurt his back, and uh, Lang had a concussion and had to miss two or three games. New Williams, uh, who was an All-American four-star guard out of California, uh, he's played in 14, 14 games and played sparingly because of injury. And then to deal with Kareem Candy, who uh, you know, would, would be one of these top scoring guards, two guards in the, in the conference, who's averaging 19 a game. He's averaging 19 having to play the point because his two point guards were gone. Because of, of Dean and Dunnans being gone, he didn't have a point guard, so he has to move his shooting guard to point guard, who is also his highest scorer. And then now uh, he is he is uh, was suspended, has now left the team, so he's no longer there. And uh, the last two games out, they had to move their starting center uh, from last year Bowers to point guard. So your your starting center is your point guard. And that right there ought to tell you everything you need to know. Well, you know, and really, and uh, <clears throat> you know, you say all that, it makes you wonder, and I'm just going to really speculate that uh, should Memphis make a move and fire their coach? Do you think at some point, you know, I know when Bruce Pearl with a no-show cause penalty and that Auburn stepped forward and, and brought him in when really no one else would, would that loyalty be, or would it be like, hey, maybe this Auburn job is a bit more complicated than I thought, and Memphis might be a better location for me? Nah, not a chance. Okay. Now they're, now they're loaded for next year. He's got uh, – uh, he, he's uh, Alabama, in fact, Alabama and Auburn. This is something that I know we don't have, have many Alabama and Auburn fans in the audience. But, but okay, hey, no, wait, I'm going to stop you right there. Alabama fans are like gremlins. They're everywhere. You just, <laughs> you just add water. I'm telling you, you ride through north Louisiana, it doesn't matter, Lynn. I dropped my daughter off at school, and there's the script A, and, and I thought, you know what, I've got to ask. I said, is that Arkansas? Cause you're, no, it's Alabama. And so it does dope. Don't ever say that. They're everywhere. Well, I, said, I, I hope there's a lot of them in the audience what I'm going to say. SEC fans will remember the days of Wimp Sanderson and Sonny Smith. Uh, before they were partners on the Wimp and Sonny radio show that went for about 10 years and one of the most popular popular radio shows in the South. It's like comic sidekicks together when you get them together. Um, you know, they coached against each other in the, in the, all throughout the 1980s and up, I guess, to the early 1990s. And they had great teams. They had that, I mean, uh, it was a situation where every year you knew it was likely those teams were going to the NCAA tournament. And they were ranked. And they had, had players that had great NBA careers on both teams. Well, I really think the state of Alabama is going to have that situation again. Alabama, Avery Johnson, now Avery Johnson himself, he lost a point guard. So he, he did have an injury situation, too, not like the total cave-in of Bruce Pearl at Auburn, but uh, he did lose a good player. But they've, they've beaten four nationally ranked teams, including uh, they've beaten Texas A&M and South Carolina. And so they, you know, if, if they could just not lose anymore, they're a bubble NCAA team this year. I think what more realistically you're going to be an NIT team. But it's the first time ever that Alabama and Auburn have both signed a five-star player the same year. So both of them have got uh, three signees already coming in. Each one of them has a five-star player and two four-star players. Um, Alabama got the, the number one player out of Idaho. They got a 6'8 six, a six, forward from somewhere. I, I forget from where. Um, they got a, uh, a five-star 
six foot seven, uh, 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 you know, off forward shooting guard. I, I think he's a shooting guard actually, but he's tall. Um, so they got him. Auburn got a five star uh, guard. Uh, Mustafa is his, is his name. Um, they got a uh, Auburn got the top point guard in the state of Georgia, a four-star point guard, which they need so badly. I think his name's Heron, and uh, and then they've got a six-eight forward coming in as well. So I I think good things are on the horizon for Alabama and Auburn both, uh, but uh, it's just not going to happen this year. Okay, now I, I'm gonna uh, to me if you're getting to this point, you're looking at South Carolina eight and three in the league, tied with Kentucky and LSU. And uh, South, the Gamecocks are twenty-one and three overall. Kentucky's eighteen and six. Man, it must be great when you have a bad year and you're eighteen and six. Yeah, that's true. And uh, LSU is fifteen and nine. A and M eighteen and six, and Florida sixteen and eight. Okay, I just I just mentioned five basketball programs. Now this is where you're going to tell me how crazy I am because I'm going to say that possibly only three of those will make the NCAA tournament, and you will tell me no, it is the SEC, and they will get more than three. In the big dance. Now, in this case, you may be right. The uh, here's here's why. Um, let's take today for instance. The the numbers you just gave aren't going to be the same at the end of the day today, because t- today you've got the t- the top four teams are uh, uh, Kentucky, South Carolina, Texas A&M, and LSU. And guess who plays each other today? Yeah, that as we said, other than those two games, you might as well just not even watch. Right? Yeah, Kentucky played that South Carolina. Of course, Florida's got a game that they'll win, so Florida gets to gets to pick up a game. Uh, unless they just, you know, unless they're surprising, kind of fall on their face today. But the, the problem is that uh, at, at the way it stands right now, all of those teams would have an adequate um, record for getting into the tournament. <clears throat> but they still got to play each other. You know, I think LSU ends up this season playing at Kentucky, and I know a number of the other teams still play each other, and today those four do. So two of those are going to have another loss uh, after the day-to-day. I really think it could be a three-team league. Realistically, uh Nick, it's probably going to be four teams. But here's, here's the thing, kind of like we talked in Conference USA, and I know there's a big big game today uh, there with UAB playing Louisiana Tech. Realistically, but the thing that needs to happen for the conference, conference would never say this, but the conference needs for three or four of the SEC teams to go on a hot streak and, and not lose anymore, or lose maybe just a game or two, and, and, be, and clearly put themselves up there as the top three or four teams. Then the conference needs for one of the other teams to pull an upset and win the tournament. Same way as, as Conference USA needs for UAB to continue winning and, and establish a record that would clearly have them in the, in the tournament, and then they need another team to pull the upset and win the Conference USA tournament. So that CUSA would have to have two teams, and the, and the SEC would have to have an additional team because the automatic tournament be going, I mean, uh, well, NCAA be going well, to the tournament. Here's the deal, I will get my tinfoil hat out if uh, LSU were to uh, beat Kentucky uh, the last regular season game in a Rupp Arena, and that puts them into the uh, the big dance. But, I, you know, a lot of work left to do. But I, I tell you, I've watched a lot of SEC basketball this year, and I do like, you know, it comes down to, and I, I think you look, I think the three, I think Kentucky, South Carolina, and A&M will be in, regardless of what LSU and Texas A&M do today. And I think LSU def- desperately needs to get that victory. But I think you're looking at you come down, you're going to have to make a, uh, a mark, a battle between Florida and LSU. If it were to be four teams, if it were to be four teams, I think it comes down between Florida and LSU to who is the fourth team, and that's going to be the interesting battle to watch. Yeah, I agree. I think that's right. Uh, I, would, I would agree that that's probably what will, what will happen. Um, of course, Florida, like I say, if Florida wins today, then they, 
they uh, they win they win by not losing. Uh, and and what I mean is that they don't have to play one of those top four teams. And the uh, the games when those top four and Florida play each other are going to be real deciding. And you've already seen that Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, you know, those guys have got the ability on a particular day to play a good game and knock those guys off. So you got a you got a whole court when you're supposed to win. And then you got to win uh, when you're playing up against the other contenders. And I'll tell you, uh, uh, must not watch TV will be Vanderbilt and Auburn and Georgia and Mississippi State tonight. But I promised our listeners that we would actually, because baseball, college baseball is right around the corner. But softball has already been in the circle. You can't say on the mound, Lynn. It's in the circle. We've yep. got the intelligent fan base here. Yep. I made a promise to our guests, to our listeners, that uh, we would talk a little college softball this morning. You would well in the well in the South. I mean, uh, in, in the SEC market, uh, there's no question that you that you need to do that. I mean, because you know when you've got a situation like you had last year, where the NCAA, where the uh, the conference had what four or five teams out of eight in the uh, in the World Series. So uh, you know what are you going to do? It's just uh, you know you can't you can't ignore how good the league is. Well, uh, and certainly you you got big battles and you got great teams. And I don't want to make a move. We're going to talk Conference USA. You and I just talked last night. Big battle in Ruston today between the team from your backyard, who really, to me, have become, become an, an enemy. And you need college, college athletics need rivalries. And you talk about in football, college football, obviously, even the Conference USA, I believe it's Louisiana Tech and Southern Miss. Now you go to the hardwood, I think it's Louisiana Tech and the team that uh, – Right in your backyard, UAB. They're going to square off today at one o'clock over in Ruston. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Great. Yeah. Great ball game. This is this is the opportunity for um, for Louisiana Tech to, to make their claim. You know, uh, Louisiana Tech's got what? I think that's the second best record in the league, maybe. But um, but you know, but they've got to they've got to win, and um, they, you know they can't afford to be they can't afford to be losing ball games. UAB could afford to lose this ball game. Uh, a whole lot better than, than Louisiana Tech can if Louisiana Tech wants to stay in the uh, wants to stay in the race. UAB's got the best team. I mean, uh, you know, it's uh, it's just it's how things are going to happen. UAB's got the best ball team, uh, but that doesn't you know the best team doesn't you know doesn't always win. You know, and what my thought process is here, and this is where I think way too much, and our listeners will tell me that there's a part of me that says it's better for Conference USA. If UAB does not lose again until the finals, or if they, you know, the finals of the Conference USA tournament, and then that would be they could get a bid if the Conference USA wanted to be a two-bid league, and then whoever were to defeat them, obviously in the conference tournament, would get in. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's no question that's correct. I mean, that's not even that that's that's can't even be debated. If the uh, the best interest of the conference is to have more than one team there, and UAB is the only team that's got a resume that can earn it. Uh, straight up, you know the the uh, any other teams gonna have to gonna have to get it by winning the the tournament. So no question, UAB needs to keep as strong a resume as possible, and then uh, and then another team needs to needs to win it. Before we get off softball, I was I, oh, was, I thought I was waiting. I didn't know well, that I was going to get. Thumbing, I was thumbing. I was thumbing through to get my to get my results from last I night. I did not know that. I apologize. I wondered why you left me with. Well, because, because I, I, I was pulling up the numbers and I didn't I didn't remember for sure. Last night was an unusual night for the SEC because it's it's you know the SEC started the started the year just uh, Friday night, and so 
obviously they got your normal number of, of ranked teams, and a lot of them, a lot of them did did very well. Florida's ranked number one. They won eleven to nothing. I'm reading it down. They won eleven to nothing against uh, Illinois State. Auburn's number four. Uh, they won their first game Friday night nine to nothing. Uh, game shortened to four and a half innings. Uh, a no hitter thrown by the Auburn pitchers. And then last night Auburn won nineteen to one. Again, a uh, four and a half inning pitch. Uh, at least Western Kentucky did get a hit on them last night. Uh, Georgia's Georgia's ranked. They won nine to nothing. Um, LSU is ranked number three. They're number three. Auburn's number four. LSU uh, won two ball games. But surprisingly. Tennessee is the number eight team in the country. They lost to Fresno State and they lost to Arizona State. Now, Arizona State's a, a traditionally good program, but Tennessee lost a doubleheader last night. Alabama's ranked number five. Central Florida beat Alabama eight to one last night. So you have Kentucky. Kentucky's a ranked team. Uh, Oregon State beat Kentucky as in a, as in a tournament. But um, but you had a number of SEC teams that are ranked that took it on the nose last night. So. Uh, you know, it's early, first ball games, but uh, two or three of the ranked teams did really, really well. Florida, uh, Auburn, LSU, the, the, top, the top three ranked ones, in fact, ranked number one, three, and four, uh, all won and won, won by impressive numbers. But uh, Alabama, Kentucky, and Tennessee, also ranked teams, uh, did not win. So, but, you know, but the I mean, league's, league's off to a good start. I mean, the, this is, this is going to be another great season for, uh, for ACC softball. So the, you're telling me that the SEC women's softball tournament will probably be just uh, Oklahoma City regional? Just, just I, I think it w- I think it will be. Uh, I, I think it's going to be very similar to last year. Maybe, maybe you won't have, and somebody in the audience will remember. I don't remember if we had four or five SEC teams out there, but it was a it was a dominating thing for as you say. I know Tennessee, Alabama, Auburn, and Florida were all there, and I don't I don't remember if there was a fifth one. But uh, but it'll be it'll be similar to the same you know to what I had last year. Hey, and I think it's going to be a surprisingly good uh, season for SEC baseball. Uh, I've kind of done some some scanning over, doing a little preliminary stuff with the season coming up starting next week, and uh, I think you got you know you got your traditional guys that are going to be good, but you got two or three teams that they at least look on paper like they've upgraded themselves with uh, with the players coming in and and some guys that were kept. So I'll kind of be surprised if it's not a uh, an improved year for Southeastern Conference baseball. Uh, certainly uh, will be, and we'll be paying attention to that. We're talking to Lynn Scarborough from Lindy's Magazine. Lynn takes you to 10 every Saturday morning on the Nick Brown Show. Lynn, uh, <clears throat> must talk about, you know, we don't, we don't, you and I don't go serious uh, very often. And uh, well, we are now for just a minute because several years ago, I, uh, I had sent in a media request for the the uh, Birmingham Bowl, because I was going to come see you, and I didn't hear back. And, of course, we made a joke that I was the only guy from the state of Alabama that grew up there that was never credentialed for the Birmingham Bowl. And you told me that I needed to call Norm Riley. And Norm Riley, uh, longtime media relations director for UAB, been at Georgia, East Carolina. And he, we called and we chatted, and, and he apologized and said, you know, hey, do it. You know, of course, and you and I both said that I may need to do it more than 48 hours before the game kicks off. <laughs> you know, uh, so, and, but he handled it in a very uh, nice way. And uh, he, he passed away uh, last night. Uh, certainly uh, college athletics and UAB going to miss a great one in Norm Riley. Yeah, I'm going to tell you, there are, you know, you, you and I have been doing this a long time, and, and we've got people that we work with at some, at some schools, and I'm not, we'll start naming individuals or individual schools. But there are individual people and individual schools that are easier to work with than others. Uh, some schools and people 
act like they're doing you a favor to allow you the privilege to cover them. Others know that you're doing them a favor by covering their teams and giving them publicity, giving them promotion, and they treat you that way. Norm Riley was one of those guys. Uh, I've had the opportunity to work with Norm for a long time. Uh, Norm has been the uh, sports information director at UAB for the last 14 years. Uh, He was the assistant under Claude Felton that you and I both know. Claude is at Georgia, uh, one of the icons in in college sports information. Uh, If you learn under Claude Felton, you learn under a good guy. Uh, Norm was a Georgia guy and, uh, and, and learned and, and tutored under Claude. He got his opportunity to be uh, SID at East Carolina. Uh, he did that, and when the job came open in, uh, in Birmingham 14 years ago, uh, he came and, came and took that job. Uh, I've had the opportunity to work closely with Norm for 10 years with the Birmingham Bowl. Uh, Norm not only did a great job with UAB, he also was a, a, a guy that appreciated and worked for his community. He was the... Uh, media director for the Birmingham Bowl from its inception. And in so doing, um, he took care of all the media relations, all the media credentials, the setup of the press box, uh, and everything that goes along with that. People that aren't in the business that you and I are in don't really understand uh, what all it takes. You know, the, the articles you read in magazines and newspapers, the reports you see on television, the reports you see on, on the radio, uh, uh, post-game interviews, uh, uh, on on uh, Saturday evenings, you just take for granted you're going to see the results from your football games and all that. Those things don't just magically happen. Those things are put together by the inf- sports information director and, and his staff, his or her staff, uh, at the various schools. And uh, there's a whole lot that goes into that. And at the same time that he was doing those things for UAB, he was also doing them, doing them for the Birmingham Bowl. And uh, the host school takes charge of those things when there are tournaments. So whenever there's a the basketball tournament in Birmingham, for example, for the Conference USA. Those are the go to the responsibility of those guys. And um, I had the opportunity to work with Nick for to work with uh, Norm for ten years uh, in my role, what I do for the Birmingham Bowl, and and Norm having that role for the uh, for the bowl. I saw Nick coincidentally, and and we'll say what the conversation you and I had off the air earlier this week. You had a question regarding a media request and contacted me about how to proceed on that. And I said, you need to contact Norm Riley. And you're coming back to me was, I, I didn't think he was doing well with his battle against cancer. Well, I had not talked to Norm since, uh, since New Year's Eve, I guess, because whatever day it was that Auburn and Memphis played at the bowl game, because I saw Norm, and Norm uh, was, was in the press box doing his job, handling the media, uh, had, had been in charge of that, and handling it all fine during November and December. And I had not seen Norm. In, in the six weeks since the, since the bowl game, but he was in the press box. I talked to him, and he seemed to be fine. I was not aware that the, the recurrence had gotten worse, uh, and he had gone downhill that quickly, and, and he died yesterday. Well, and that's, wanna, a, that's a real loss. Uh, yeah, it is, and let me tell you, and, and, and this, is, this is a small world. You and I have been doing this, I don't know how long. We've talked seven or eight years. But I sent Norm an email, and in there I mentioned, you know, I'm the guy that wanted credentials 48 hours before the game. And I said, we have a mutual friend in Lynn Scarborough. Now, Norm forwarded that email. When I went and read after you called me last night and told me that Norm had passed away, it said that Norm had, had taken a leave of absence in January. So very well, the last capacity that he worked for for UAB would have been forwarded in an email, which I mentioned your name in. So it's very... When I when I read that, I said, you know what? I got to mention that that even though he was battling cancer and had not been on the job since 
mid-January that, and I did not know that, and you did not know that, no. still working for his school, forwarded an email the day before he passed away. Well, Norm Riley was a consummate professional. Uh, he was a gentleman. Uh, he, he leaves behind his, his wife, Leslie, and, uh, and two sons. I believe his sons are teenage. Uh, he was, uh, Norm was in his 50s, so they might be upper, upper teenage boys, but they've grown up in Birmingham and played ball here and all that. So he leaves behind his wife and his two sons. And it does not surprise me that, uh, that within 24, 48 hours of his death, he was still checking his email and doing his job um, and, and not, uh, you know, not sending something to you and saying, man, I'm sick, I can't do it. Uh, he forwards, a, forwards an email and does his job. And that's the kind of person he was, it's the kind of professional he was. And it's a loss. It's a, certainly a loss for UAB, and it's a loss for the business that you and I are in, Nick. It certainly is, Lynn, and that's the way we're going to end this interview here today. And look forward to talking to you again next Saturday morning. It's Lynn Scarborough from Lindy's Magazine. Lynn takes you to 10 every Saturday morning on the Nick Brown Show. We certainly appreciate it, Lynn. Oh, man. Talk to you soon. That was Lynn Scarborough. Uh, certainly always enjoy visiting with him up in Birmingham. And I appreciate what he does for the Nick Brown Show. And Lindy's Magazine, a great magazine to read if you ever go to the beach, which I know you do, and you like college football, buy a copy of Lindy's. It's the best. Thanks for listening to the best of the Nick Brown Show. Tune in live every Saturday on ESPN977.com or subscribe to the show in iTunes, on Stitcher, or at redpeachsports.com.